Hello, good evening and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Milo and Gareth. Hello, chaps. Hi, Steph. Excellent, excellent. This week, we will be looking back at the 1-1 draw against West Ham in the midweek at the London Stadium. We will obviously be looking at the crunch home clash against Fulham at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium yesterday. And finally, the transfer window is shut. The deals have been done. The panic has been felt by a few. And then there are those who already have a few extra points, thanks to doing their business early. I wonder who I might be referring to. We'll be looking back at what was an interesting end to the summer window. But let's start by looking back at the week that was. And, oh, here we are already. The transfer window is closed. We're back here. The dramas and bickering about who's coming, going or should be coming and should be going from your favourite football team are now over. As the window is shut at 11pm GMT last Thursday, September the 1st. Uh, Whether you want to admit it or not. For once, it has to be said that we had a very decent summer window and critically, I say critically, in my opinion, avoided a last minute panic buy or the intervention of our very own The Price is Right deadline drama bot, Daniel Levy, who was nowhere to be seen on deadline day, which is wonderful. Right there, something positive has happened to our football club, right, chaps? Uh, let's take a hard look at the ins and outs. And uh, first of all, tell me if you agree with that opening gambit I've just volleyed at you all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was what? good. Excellent. <laughs> no editing necessary. It, it, huh? was, it was a good window. And I think what, what was particularly interesting about the window this year is I zoned out on it by about the 1st of August. I think once we signed Jed Spence. I think Paratici did as well. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, th- I think everyone, everyone forgot that the window was still open. Um, I didn't pick up on any of the usual hyperbole and nonsense on, on Sky Sports. It just wasn't that interesting because it felt like we'd done all of our business early. And it's what we've wanted for about the last 15 years to be in that position. So... From from that angle alone, it's been a really good window, and I hope we have more of them. I mean, I think a mark of the window is that Ali Gold went on holiday for the last week of it, and nothing happened. It's a good sign, and let's uh, let's get into the ins, um, the ins and outs, if you will. Uh, Milo, I'm gonna, you know, you take us away with the ins and outs, and just to caveat this for everyone, we're talking about first team squad action here. So there have been a few other signings here and there, but they're not first team squad players. So take it away. The figures here come from transfer market. So try to be consistent through there rather than picking them up from kind of different newspapers. So the ins, we've got Richarlison in for 52.2 million, Christian Romero in for 45 million, East Basuma in for 26.28 million, Destiny and Doggy in for 16.2 million, Jed Spence in for 13.23 million, and then the low knees, we've got Clement Langley, uh, Fraser Forster, and Ivan Perisic, oh sorry, Lengley is the loan, and then Forster and Perisic were both frees rather. That's our ins. Excellent. And our outs, Stephen Bergwine, 28.3 million quid back in the bank. Cameron Carter-Vickers, 6.3 million quid back in the bank. And then a large collection of loans, um, Tongi Ndombele, Giovanni Lo Celso, Harry Winks, loan plus option to buy for Sampdoria. Sergio Reggion, loan, Joe Rodon, loan, Destiny Udogi loaned back to the club we signed him from. Uh, and then Troy Parrott and Dane Scarlett both loaned, and we will be talking about those in a, in a moment. They're slightly different to the other loans. All, you know, the, the, the final three that we've loaned out there are obviously for the future. Uh, the top six are the past. Um, and whilst we didn't get a huge, oh, sorry, top seven, I should say. And whilst we didn't get a huge amount of money back in, not as much as I think we probably would have wanted, what we have done is we've critically done two things. We've freed up the wage bill an awful lot. Um, and, uh, you know, we've freed up squad space and we've got a squad that now the manager really wants to work with, you know, no spare parts. Um, what do you think of our summer business, chaps? I think really good. I think that um, 
it feels like we've increased the experience of the squad, which we definitely have, but the age actually hasn't gone up that much. So the squad no. average squad age at the end of last season was um, 25.8, and now it's currently 26.2 years old. So the age is, is, is a good mm. age. It's players who are probably on average just about hitting peak. What I think from looking at how our team finished last year, and it was a fairly set starting eleven. I think our starting eleven isn't really very different. The only difference is being, I think, that Royal and Sessignon have both improved under Conte and have got a better understanding of his system now. So the starting eleven is, is is as it was, which I think is pretty strong. But what's really noticeable is that our first maybe 18, 19 players, it's significantly stronger than it was at the end of last season. So that for me is the, is, is the real, and that's been quite palpable as well, just by looking at the names on our substitutes bench, knowing that we've got players that we can rely on and, and barring a major injury problem. Uh, that's definitely what's going to give us an advantage this season and improve us from where we were. And that's sort of testament to what's happened in the window this year. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's right. I think we've got what, four players coming in there who once they're fully settled in, there's not much drop-off from the first 11 or what we're thinking of as the first 11, which is a big difference to what we saw last year. We you know, we spoke quite a lot about um, the shortage of options we had on the bench during the run-in last season. Oh, it was ridiculous. I mean, he was working with 14 players at max, I think, right? Yeah, that's For right. Weeks. And, you know, we were seeing a lot, you know, we had kind of who's the kind of under-23s player of the week or, you know, two or three players of the week who come in for a couple of games and uh, and then go back. and they were there was no prospect of them getting onto the pitch um and getting minutes they were just there to make up numbers so we had a full squad for the game which is very different to what we're seeing now and i think you know if you look at last season you know mora was pretty much always the first sub on um or one of the first subs on and there's a big difference i think between that and you know now we're looking at you know say Richarlison or um you know perisic or if perisic is starting it's Sessignon coming on you know basuma is has is, is come on as a sub plenty you know getting, is getting minutes there and as he's settled in you know he's going to provide real competition so i think you know it's a, it's a mark markedly um better uh position we're in now than we were uh, last season just one niggle or concern I've got about the number of loanies we've got there. Because as you said, we've got, what, one, two, three, four, five, five loanies there that we're desperate to sell. And I do wonder about the kind of global financial situation. You know, we, we saw the impact of COVID on football finances and the fact that actually we couldn't sell any of these players this summer or in January is a, is a kind of the knock-on effects of covid on finances and then you've got the kind of the 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 fuel situation and you know kind of uh inflation you know in a lot of countries at the moment and i do wonder whether the knock-on of that is you know that's gonna have an impact on people attending games and uh people who can afford you know satellite tv you know to watch games and what have you and that might have a knock-on effect on football and whether you know we've got these players out on loan and whether next summer it's still going to be really 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 hard to sell them and we've got we've still got their wages risk well but that's and that's but that's where i think what i would what i would say there is and, and look i think those are very very um salient and and very fair points and and logical points i mean unfortunately the world is a very confusing and and uh, let's face it kind of fucked up place right now and nobody really knows what's going to happen in a year let alone in six months i mean we really yeah. don't but that being said i think it makes what Paratici managed to do here all the more remarkable um and you know look as sort of the metaphor for for me there is if you can't win the game don't lose it so yep. we have at least got them somewhere 
where they are playing regular football. If there is a little bit of extra scratch around, we, we hopefully someone will be sufficiently tickled by what they've seen of these players on loan to want to buy them. Hopefully the clubs have loaned them and we're, at least we're not paying their wages right now. So I think it's a really fair point, but at the very, you know, it, it makes what Paratici managed to do actually, I think somewhat more impressive given you know, yeah. the potential climate we are going into. I think that's fair. And, you know, if you look at the four that he definitely didn't want, and Dembele, Lo Celso, Winks and Reggion, you know, they weren't even training with the first team squad. We've managed to move all yeah. of those out. So we've avoided a situation where we've got Harry Winks training yes. with the academy or something like that, which is, is good for no one. It's one of the things I do actually really like about Conti as well is that, you know, beneath the tough exterior, and look, it's very tough to force those players to train in exile, but there's two things you would say about it. Number one, it leaves no prevarication. It's very clear. You're not part of my plans but I do think he cares about the welfare of these players and I think he wants them to have a career somewhere else it's just not going to be with him as mm. was evidenced by what he said about Harry Winks which I thought was really really very very nice and very cool it showed that you know there is a proper I know you don't like the phrase but there's a, there's a decent football man in there who appreciates what players need as well as what he needs and you know he behaved I think with a, a, a great respect during the whole thing even though it looked quite harsh so, um, yeah, let me ask you both uh, about this. Um, you know, we come to the, the uh, whether we've addressed the weaknesses in the squad or not. And I want to preface that by just discussing what Conti said in response to the window. And I don't have the exact quotes, but the overall feeling was it's going to take us several windows to fully correct this squad. Anyone who thinks we've done it all now is sort of on planet nine. Um, you know, I'm very satisfied with what's happened. But we've still got a long way to go. I mean, I thought that was extremely fair comment. Would we not agree? And which areas, you know, look, I think the areas are obvious, but why don't you guys call them out for our listeners, the areas that we still are a little weak in? So I think the areas we're weak in are potentially in central defence. I think we've seen that there's a huge drop off once Romero's not available. Um, it's on that right-hand side. I think left-hand side were okay because Davis and, and Longley, I think we'll find there's perhaps not too much between them. But I would worry whether we could withstand either if Romero and or Dyer were out for any length of time or, or missed any number of games because I think you're then dropping into Tanganga and Sanchez and both of those are quite a big drop-off. Um, equally, we definitely wanted to move on either Lucas or Brian Hill and bring in another forward. And again, I'd perhaps have that same question mark there, um, that could we withstand two of Kulisevsky, Kane, Son or Richarlison being injured or suspended at the same time? And I, I include being suspended in there with reason. Um <laughs> Other, other. I mean, across across the midfield, including the wing back positions, I think we're really, really strong. Um, I think you just got to. There's so many games coming up, and the potential for, for for losing one of those key players in a key game would be quite significant. So that's the only weakness. But I'd caveat that by saying to have a turnaround of six players in and you know four or five out in one window is is, is pretty incredible. I mean, ultimately, we're probably still playing catch-up from the non-window of 2018 and 19, aren't we? Where I think probably logically, you'd always want to move two or three players in every window. And perhaps that's what Conte's alluding to, that we are still perhaps playing catch-up. And there are still those obvious positions where we need to try and fill. But by January and by next year, there'll be other wind, there'll be other positions that are currently OK at the moment. I mean, the goalkeeper being, that's, that's mm. going to be a massive issue for us at some point in the future. We've managed to 
somewhat kick the can down the road a little bit by the fact that Hugo's continues to be as consistent um, and as outstanding as, as he has done. But you think Perisic is 33, so at some point we're going to need to get a second left wing back, and we've probably done that with with Udogi. On the right-hand side, we wait to see whether Spence is going to continue to develop and whether Royale does. So you've always got to be thinking two or three windows ahead to stay on top of things. Uh, I agree with Gareth about kind of backup in, in central defence. Um, I mean, Lingley could cover Dyer. We've seen what he can do on the ball. He, he can um, sit back as well as, uh, as press. So I think he does offer us an option there. But you know, as we'll get on to with the West Ham game, kind of Sanchez is weakness on the ball and the impact that has on the team overall um, is quite marked and and you know particularly in in terms of how Conte wants to play and uh, Jaffet has exactly the same issues so I think in terms of you know maybe not January but the next two windows um, those two moving on and players who are composed on the ball and can play out from the back and uh, can re- receive a pass under uh, under pressure and and move the ball on are priorities I think you know if we want to build a team that can challenge for the title and can play you know Conte's style of football to you know at, at its best those are essential it's very significant that uh, we've since learned that you know his top target which was deemed fairly impossible anyway was Hakimi Right and Bastoni. I mean, that, so that addresses. Uh, but, but what you're saying, I mean, I think I think it reinforces what you're saying that you know what we all agree that those are two areas that that they are most certainly looking to improve in the next two windows. Yeah, I would say I, I, I hadn't said right wing back, but I was about to go on and say right wing back. And yeah, absolutely. I think um, yeah, Royale in terms of athleticism and effort, you can't fault him. But in terms of carrying the ball and delivery in the final third, you can. And you know, Doherty was. Much improved in the run in last season, but we're we're actually talking about over a you know quite a short space of games, and he he hasn't played on the right I think at all actually since in preseason most of his most of his minutes were on the left. He hasn't come on at all or you know featured at all under Conte. So I don't know quite where he is in the pecking order at the moment. We're we're a little bit weak there, and again I agree with Gareth that another forward would have been an advantage. Although I'm I'm pleased that Hill is staying around I think he's a better option than some of the players that were being talked about late in the window let's dip into that for a second because it is worth addressing I mean we were linked with with various names I'm not going to go into them now you've seen them all in the gossip uh, columns and so on and so forth however I still think it's to the club's credit that you know some of those very last minute names that were being thrown out by doubtless desperate agents looking to get their, their clients a move you know we didn't bite and we did decide to stick with players that know the system. And I mean, this is one thing. I mean, these this squad has trained under Conti for some time now and they do at least all know the system. So even if they're not maybe of the, you know, A-plus quality we want in every position, they will at least understand what they have to try and do when drafted in, which is which is more important, I think, than taking a punt on a last-minute signing. I, I think some of that might have been down to where we were with uh, foreign-trained players with the Champions League squad. We couldn't we couldn't have loaned out Hill and brought in another foreign trained player. It's not one for one. We we're one over on our Champions League foreign tra- trained players. So as it stands at the moment, I would assume that one of Hill, Saar, or Doherty is probably going to miss out on a Champions League spot. And I think that's quite a tough call. I mean, I, my guess is it's probably Saar because Harvey White can step up and you know be that fifth choice central midfielder. But it could easily be Doherty and say, where we've got Spence and Royale who can cover 
right wing back. We don't need a third right wing back. And Lucas, who is considered, yeah. Lucas is also considered coverage, isn't he? Yeah. So at this point, so yeah, maybe may, maybe Doherty being able to cover left wing back as well makes him more useful. But yeah. in which case, if Saar has been, we've held on to Saar and he do, he's not in the Champions League squad, I don't know how many minutes he's going to get between now and January. And yeah. you know, maybe training with the, with the team is, is good in its own, but it's not a substitute for playing minutes, is it? No. And it, it, you know, it underscores what we're saying that overall, this has been an excellent window, but it is the first of several that need to, you know, we need to, these windows yeah. need to continue happening. Yeah. Um, and let's, let's get to loans as, as we were sort of getting, we're getting there um, because there's, Two loans that seem to be working out very well. Uh, Troy Parrott to Preston North End uh, and particularly Dane Scarlett's loan to Portsmouth um, under Danny Cowley, who uh, just, I mean, look, I've heard a lot about Danny Cowley anyway from various friends who know him who say that he is a top top coach and a top man. But he just really seems to know how to develop and nurture a player. I mean, I've been reading closely what he's been saying about Scarlett and and he's just the, seems the perfect manager for him. And Scarlett is really starting to, to, to develop and really show his promise. I mean, these are two, two great loans. Yeah, no, and and two two great loans. Um, you know, let me ask you. I mean, do you think? I mean, this is a speculative question. I appreciate, but you know, should we be looking to build a relationship with Portsmouth for our star youths? Because I mean, you know, Cowley seems to be the perfect manager for that sort of talent. My my thoughts on that is that Danny Cowley will develop Dane Scarlett because he thinks Dane Scarlett's going to win his Portsmouth games and he's going to score them goals um, and he's quite right that that, that should be his priority so mm-hmm. I, I think if he feels that having uh, a player of Scarlet's age and attributes is going to help him in the team then it's a perfect match but that may not all, always be the case I know that prior to him joining Portsmouth there were um, let's say concerns about his about his playing style I think he was fairly direct style of player at Lincoln where he made his name that may well have changed at Portsmouth but look it's working for him now all you need you need players to be going out firstly you need them to be getting game time every week and if they're getting game time it's because they've got the attributes that fit into that system and then ideally particularly for a centre forward you want them going out scoring goals so you mentioned Troy Parrott as well and it seemed like a good development for him to go out and play in the championship unfortunately we've loaned him out to the so those of you not familiar with the football league system in England there are 92 teams in our top four divisions um, Preston are the 91st highest goal scorers this year in eight league games they've scored twice um, they've only drawn they've only lost once I think they've drawn a lot of games nil-nil so he's not gone to a free scoring side he has scored in the league cup um, but he is playing at the moment, but I think it'll be it maybe one that we have to review at Christmas if he's doing if he's doing well and we think there's an opportunity in going out playing somewhere else in a slightly more attacking system where he can get some goals under his his belt. Um, might be better for him for his development, but it's certainly an improvement on what he did last year. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really positive. And on our WhatsApp group, there was the goals that Scarlett scores yesterday for Portsmouth, and you know, long may that continue. I don't think we should focus on one club particularly. I think we should um, try and build relationships with well, as many clubs as is, is feasible who you know can offer you know good development to our players. And you know what works for one player might not necessarily work for another. And it kind of depends on, on you know what the players need. Whether there's one particular aspect of their game that we think could be developed at a particular club or under a particular manager, um, or whether they just need minutes or you know what have you. So, I mean, it looks to be a loan that's working out quite well. I think. Sometimes just getting minutes is enough. 
and competing for a place in a you know in competitive football rather than playing you know, youth football, which is a bit of a you know is a safer environment. Yeah, that's right. So if they're a good club to work with and we think he's a good manager all the time he's there great let's get some more let's get some more players there but um the, the, you know, the, there's lots of options and we should we should look at all of those yeah i think you also need to be really ruthless as well so it might be working out really well for us with scarlet being at portsmouth but if it gets to christmas and we've got the opportunity to review that if a championship yeah. club comes in who we think can offer him a better development opportunity then we can't be loyal to portsmouth we've, we've got to do what we think is the best for our player and the future of our squad as well like we did with Kian and tete last season absolutely yeah which says that that one resulted in us getting a sale for him yeah. perhaps a few hundred thousand more than we might have got otherwise that he only got experience playing at league two level yeah I just I'm happy to see that uh, we're I mean, it seems to me we're paying a little more attention to the importance of these loans. I mean, of course, the test of that will be in January if Brian Hill gets loaned out. I think we would all love to see him get loaned. That's if we're going to keep him. We'd love to see him get loaned out within this this country so he can get some more experience of, 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 of playing here. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Hill and, um, and Saar will probably leave on loan in January. So there you have it. The Game is About Glory's review of the transfer window is over. And uh, chaps, I think it was a really good one, actually. I think we've yep. nailed it. Not that we should congratulate ourselves too much, but a pat on the back is, uh, I think, in order. <laughs> so having said that, let's see if we can pat ourselves on the back when we look back at the West Ham game, which seemed to cause uh, apoplexy uh, within the, the fan base. But uh, I think there were some somewhat mitigating circumstances during that game for the 1-1 draw. And uh, as is the way of the world, I think the overreaction was possibly a little too much. Let's start with uh, what you thought of the team selection and how we played overall, guys. I think the tone of this conversation, of this pod is determined by the fact that we played West Ham on Wednesday and then we played Fulham four days later. And I think we're well, not quite chalk and cheese um, performances, but I think had we had we had the, the first performance been second, we'd feel very differently. So mm. I thought generally against West Ham, I understood that we kept the same the same starting eleven from the team that had won up at Forest. I thought that we were very comfortable in the first half and didn't really need to get out of third gear. The problem was that we stayed in third gear in the second half when West Ham raised their intensity levels, conceded a really, really sloppy goal, which I think any manager that we've had would have been disappointed with. There was some really good analysis, actually, on on West Ham United TV that was parading as BT Sport afterwards. Um, But it did actually really break down the goal and you um, you, you can pick holes in Larice's role in it certainly in in Heuberg and um Basuma's role in the goal as well and well while we're here and Perisic yeah, turning yeah, yeah, his yeah, back you're, on you're right. and someone else not pointing someone on the pitch of experience not pointing out the throw-in was taken 10 yards further down the line from where it should have been which I thought that's a fundamental isn't it complain about that yeah so we, we were never really able to raise the intensity levels again I think perhaps in hindsight if Richarlison had been on 10 minutes sooner he probably would have created something else and we, we may well have scored from that because I thought he was he was a bright spark but yeah we, we we never really got out of third gear all game and saying the first half that was enough and it would, would have been enough to have won the game but over the course of 90 minutes it wasn't uh, and I think it showed up some some flaws in the in the team and the way that we played but in fairness, they were corrected on, on Saturday. So everything that we didn't do on Wednesday night, I thought we did from the first minute on, on Saturday. And that was the that was the difference between the two performances. I agree with Gareth. I thought in the first half, I thought we looked very, very comfortable. I thought it was a, a good performance. And I actually thought in the 
we came out quite well in the second half. I thought Basuma was a bit wobbly in the first half. I thought um, in the first kind of 10 minutes or so in the second half, I thought he looked a lot better and was being a lot more progressive. And then West Ham scored and, and you know, the old cliche kind of goals, goals change games. And it, it was really a case in this one. Um, I think up until then, we looked like we were going to be coasting to a victory. I thought, so I mean, obviously, Hoybier was suffering a bit um, at the beginning of the second half from the kind of the after effects of the rice challenge at the end of the first half and then the kind of the sole of his boot had gone and he had to go off and change his boots and my reading of it was that we were um we were trying to hold on to the ball and pass it across the back to enable him to come back onto the pitch because the ref was being a bit of a twat and wouldn't let him come straight back on because he was annoyed about him time wasting and trying to do it on the pitch so I think there was a bit of um just a bit, bit of a pettiness there in terms of not letting him come straight back on and we we're playing for time well if we're going to talk about the ref, let's. Uh, sorry to interrupt for a second. I will let you carry on, but I have to add this. I mean, the ref has missed an awful challenge from Declan Rice right on the stroke of half time, which was an orange. I mean, it's an orange challenge, and it resulted in nothing other than an injury to to Hoybier. I'd be interested to hear about the ref, the ref on the panel's view of the challenge. I, I it was certainly heavy. I thought. Yeah, I, I, from so from memory, Rice comes in and he it's, it's a last ditch challenge because Hoyberg's breaking forward into the West Ham half. I think once the ball's released or it leaves Hoiberg, the referee then spots that we've still got the ball and correctly allows us to have the advantage, which in the end doesn't come to anything. And often players get away with that. I don't know why they do. I saw it in the Man United Arsenal game this afternoon that he, in giving a really good advantage, he then fails to actually penalise the the foul yeah. that occurred. It it was definitely worthy of a yellow card based on the other challenges that did receive yellow cards on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't always pick up on those cards when you see that there's an advantage to be given, which is a good advantage to give. Yeah, I agree with that. It always annoys me a bit where you play advantage and then no advantage comes and you don't still get the free kick. I'd, I'd almost like both of them. You get a go at it and then if it doesn't happen, you still get the free yeah. kick and, and you get the card for it. Because otherwise, I mean, we saw this actually, I mean, you know, when you when you get kind of niggly fouls on players breaking and you're getting a yellow card for it. We saw this a lot in the Fulham game, actually. I mean, Sun was tripped a couple of times, wasn't he? Yeah, Dickled over Reed, particularly committed one. Yeah, the player gets a yellow card for it. Well, actually, it's worth the foul. It's worth taking the foul in that instance because you've stopped a goal. And it's almost one of those yeah. ones where, yeah, so, you know, we were talking a couple of weeks ago. I've, 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 I was in the you know, Czech Republic on my holidays. I watched a bit of ice hockey, like kind of pre-season ice hockey over there. And um, it's almost one where you you want someone to get 10 minutes in a sin bin for a, a, for a tap tackle like that. Huge fan of that. I think a sin bin idea would be great. I'm a huge fan of that. I, absolutely. No, I mean, because something has to be done for this sort of stuff. I was, I was just going to give you some of the wisdom of my son, Steph, because I know you're a big fan of that. So I, I took him to the ice mm. hockey. So it was the first time he's been Excellent. to see competitive sports. And one of the opposing players, one mm. of the, the second game we went to see, we went to see two games over there. One of the second game turned into a bit of a brawl, which I was really enjoyed. And one of their players got sent into the sin mm. bin and my son wanted me to take him down there so he could bang on the top of the sin bin and uh, shout abuse at the player. One of the joys of <laughs> l- lower, lower league ice hockey is that uh, it, you, know, you can get that close and abuse people. But um, my wife would let me <laughs> a voice of reason eh? you you had to have a voice of reason uh stop you from uh letting your son run right on the simbi at, at football wow. I'm, I'm i'm quite a mild and respectable character i don't really go in for this kind of thing so much but um no right. yeah give you a few pilsners in the czech republic and you go mental is that it lower <laughs> 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 <No>, league guys <laughs> brilliant you were you were on you were talking about the goal and you were talking about the fact that you felt that perhaps we were trying to account 
account for Hoybier's um, uh, sort of uh, generally flapping around and, I, uh, and, and his boot flapping. And his so, boot was flapping. I mean, yeah, it come away. And I, and I, think there was and I remember a... looking and thinking, why is it taking so long to get him a boot? It was, seemed to take five minutes to get a boot onto the pitch for him. I didn't really understand. And, well, he, I mean, he wanted to do it on the pitch, didn't he, to try and <laughs> get an advantage from it. The ref made him go off. Uh, it was our throw, so we were delaying taking Quite the throw. Quite rightly so. Uh, yeah, we're delaying taking the throw, and then the ref wouldn't let him back on. I think there's a bit of pettiness there. Um, and then we passed it over across the back, and of course, we had a back line that aren't particularly comfortable on the ball. Pass back to Lloris, and then Lloris sliced a clearance, and it goes out for the throw. And then the, you know, the, um, yes. the goal, the yes. goal comes from that. And obviously, you know, we talked about Perisic switching off. Hoybier's talking to the ref. The ref isn't even looking at the throw at the time it's taken. Everyone switches off, and, and then there's a goal from not it. tracking his runner. I think ultimately, our back line, in this game, it was Lloris, Sanchez, and Royale, who I think were the problem. And kind of their being uncomfortable on the ball and being panicked in the on the ball, which was the problem. And as the game went on, every time we were passing back, there was just blind panic, you know, particularly between Sanchez and, uh, and Lloris. And, you know, every time Lloris played to Sanchez, it was going straight back to Dyer or him. And, it, and there was panic. And, and that was the problem in the game. We we brought it upon ourselves. You know, it was a game where we were coasting to a win. And then in the end, it was kind of blind panic. So I have a take on that. And I do think it's uh, particularly pertinent whenever Davinson plays, uh, uh, Davinson and Roy are, when they're both playing, as, as we've identified on this pod many times, and it's not uh, our sole you know, uh, observation. I think pretty much every pod that's worth its salt about uh, talks about Tottenham Hotspur Football Club will tell you the same. Neither of them are particularly progressive on the ball. They're easily squeezed. They're easily pressed. They're we're easily panicked. It's where I think we really missed Bentoncourt on Wednesday. And we really saw how far Bissouma is off the general pace of what's necessary in an Antonio Conte team. I think we'll see substitute appearances for a while. And I'm sure he's going to come good. I know that. But I thought second half especially, both players were compromised. Both him and Pierre were compromised. Pierre was compromised by an injury. And I'll be blunt, I think he probably should have gone off at that point because you need people at tip top. You can't, there's no passengers in a game like that. And I admire his bravery, but I felt maybe his substitution was in place. I admit I have no idea because I wasn't there and I'm not a physio. So, you know, uh, but there's no doubt Bissouma put himself in a very, very poor position uh, with that silly booking in the first half. And I think those two players in that system, especially with Sanchez and Royal, they're so important. I mean, you look what Bentoncourt does when he plays, he's constantly showing literally within five yards of them to make sure that they don't have to like, you know, engage in this sort of like nervous passing uh, back and forth. They just keep the game ticking that much more and they do that much more work. And I saw Bissouma and he was not, I mean, if you look at the passing map, he's still further away from from Dyer and Sanchez than ever Bentoncourt is. And I think it was, I think we it really cost us uh, second half, especially. I, I think it cost us. I mean, Bentoncourt currently is streets ahead of Basuma, so I wouldn't disagree with that. But I don't think that's a magic, magic bullet that fixes the situation. I think Sanchez is an okay player, but he's a an appalling fit for Conte. Yeah, he's really likable. He's a, he's a competent defender, but he's not what we need. No, no, I agree with that. And I think it's, you know, I think we need to kind of depersonalize this a bit. Sometimes the kind of discourse around this, and I'm not talking about within the conversation within us, I'm talking about kind of within the, the wider Spurs community, 
in it becomes black and white as you're saying he's a bad player or, or what have you. And I think it's just around kind of fit for the manager. He just doesn't fit the manager. Right. But given that he was on the pitch and we had 45 minutes to navigate against West Ham in the second half of a game where we'd actually played fairly well first half, it was probably Mm -hmm. our most Mm -hmm. uh, assertive first half for some time. You really needed your centre mids to be on it. And they were were decidedly not on it in the second half. And I felt personally they were both compromised by two different situations. So I think think it cost us. I, I really do. But, you know. They were certainly passing back to Lloris and inviting the pressure weren't they so it was kind of turning around passing back and then Lloris passing on you know it becomes a bit of a vicious and circle doesn't it I'd personally want one of the two of them dropping in consistently to take that ball off or to show up short knowing that you know it's it's going to take the pressure off someone who can't pass and we see Bentoncourt do that work all the time and again you know it was one of those things I thought but let's ask let's 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 move on to to how much impact the refereeing decisions did have we've talked about the rice challenge and Hoybier. uh let's talk about the VAR and ball uh, there was our VAR moment of the uh, of, of the last seven days. Uh, what did we think? Watching it live at the time, it seemed such a clear cut penalty. I was, wasn't expecting VAR to be involved in that at all. But once you looked at it, um, once you'd seen what VAR had spotted, which is that the ball clearly comes off Cresswell's face first of all, and then bounces onto his arm, that means it's not a penalty. I thought that was absolutely textbook use of VAR and. That really vindicates the the use of it when you get mm. decisions like that because it's something that happens in a split second. I'm not quite sure that why the referee Peter Banks wasn't able to spot it because he was in a good position. He may have had his um, view blocked by by another player. It may just have happened too quickly. But I think it's a good reminder that things that seem really really clear to the naked eye when you see them the first time perhaps aren't quite as quite as clear, uh, which is why you need VAR. Uh, to, to to have a look at it, I know that the um, that the opposing view will be well, okay, but it took too long to come to that decision, and I would have some sympathy with that argument. I would still say that if it takes four minutes to come up with a right decision, that's better than it being rushed and coming up with what would be objectively a wrong decision. And on that occasion, it wasn't a penalty and it was right that we weren't awarded it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, when it comes off Cresswell's face, yeah, it was off Cresswell's face. It, that, that's what takes the ball away from the goal. You know, Kane's shot is on target, coming off his face takes it away from that and then it goes onto his arm. So yeah, no, I think it's the right decision. Um, but like you, when I saw it in real time, I was convinced it was a penalty. And um, despite what happened against Forrest the other week, I was thinking that was a guaranteed goal. Well, I mean, I, I think it was the right decision. But uh, Peter Banks, uh, obviously taking on his namesake from Yes, seemed to take as long as a Yes song to make the decision. Uh, I mean, it's got to be shorter. There's got to be a way to implement a decision like that more quickly. Uh, because there's no doubt to me that the four or five minutes that was spent on that particular uh, review uh, completely reinvigorated West Ham. As a matter of fact, David Moyes said as much. So, I, I, and to me, if it, well, I mean, it was, as you have both quite rightly said, it was fairly clear once you saw it on review. So I, I, I'm lost as to what the, the, the extra three or four minutes were about. Surely that's a 90 second decision. So uh, that, that was my complaint with it. So you, you say, Steph, that it reinvigorated them, but that, that handball was on 12 minutes. And, you know, we were saying yeah. seconds ago that we kind of, you know, we, we were pretty much in control in the first half. 
I didn't think, yeah. I, personally, I didn't think it had a, a huge effect. I mean, you know, the crowd the, the, came right back. Crowd were into yeah, it. Yeah, po- possibly. But we were still, we, but we were still pretty comfortable. We then scored the next goal. Wouldn't we? If West Ham had scored within five minutes of that, I'd, I'd have. I don't know. I mean, chaps, I, I felt it did, and perhaps we should address the question to Moyes because he brought it up in his press conference as well, and I was actually surprised to hear him say it too. I think at that point they needed something to get them into the game. Otherwise, we might have absolutely steamrolled them. I mean, Steph, our, our, our listeners may be aware of this, but but you and I have this huge long list of Spurs injustices that stretch back, of which you know, Pedro Mendes at Old Trafford undoubtedly is is number one. But I think in the in the grand scheme of things, this one will probably not even make the top one hundred. No, 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 no. So you know, before we segue into the Fulham game, let's let's ask: Was that a good point? West Ham away, tough game for us. Got nothing there last year. Yeah, I think for that reason alone, it's a point gain that we didn't get last year. We said we had a really good point to tell at the end of last year. And if we can pick up those points that we didn't get last year in games like that, then then that's a good one. I think it's a good fixture to get out of the way, to be fair, particularly away from home. <laughs> There's so much to say. I put myself on mute. I mean, I agree, but there's so many reasons. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, you know, we're jumping ahead of the Fulham game. You know, we're joint, you know, one point behind Arsenal in, you know, top place in the league. And sorry, in terms of kind of where we are, you know, we've played Chelsea away. We played West Ham away. Um, we've got a really tough run in the first half of the season, uh, first half of this season up until the World Cup. And, you know, we've got to remind ourselves of this because there will be slip ups along the way. We're not there, you know, that hasn't happened yet, but there will be results that we're a bit pissed off about. We've got a tough run up until the World Cup. We've got an easier run, uh, you know, from Christmas onwards. Um, and our noisy neighbours have got the opposite. They've got a really soft half, half, first half of the season, a really tough second half of the season. So come the World Cup, the, the league table is going to be in a false position. Um, and at the moment, we're doing everything we need to do. We're picking up points where we dropped them last season. So abbreviated, that was it's a good, good point. point at West yeah. Ham. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good point. It was a good yeah. point, even though I do wish Harry had shot across the keeper when Richarlison slipped him in. And Richarlison is the figure I'm going to use to segue into Fulham. We've enjoyed his cameos. He's been supremely effective when he's come on. There was a clamour for him to replace Sonny against Fulham. I personally am glad that Antonio Conte did not do that. I thought he made the right decision. I mean, turn and face the strange changes. I just wanted to sing that because there were five changes against Fulham. And look, I thought they worked. I thought they were all really good. Uh, Let's discuss those changes and how they affected the way we played overall. You and I had a chat kind of the day before the game. I, I was surprised that he made that many changes just yeah, you know, just based on the fact that Conte has been pretty conservative this season. I would agree they worked. I thought, um, I mean, obviously, Romero, you know, we've discussed that a bit already. He's a huge um, step up on Sanchez. I thought Lengley was excellent. Oh, he um, was great. And I think, uh, I would say, at the risk of kind of ruining your questions from later on, I think it staked a really good claim for first choice in that position no we can we can we can dwell on it for a minute and 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 gareth will bring you in i mean i think let's talk about langley for a second i mean you know he showed what uh you know a progressive passer in that position does he tried a couple of moments early doors he carried it wasn't quite successful but you saw his intent and and it was impressive and then he really slipped into the role it was great i also think those three you know, just passing between, you know, we talked about Sanchez and 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 Royal and Larice against West Ham, and those uh, Dyer, Romero, and Lengley was kind of polar opposite. They're all comfortable on the ball, could 
play across the back, could draw Fulham on and then play through yeah. them. And, yeah. you know, very, very good direct passing, carrying the ball out of defence, just light years ahead of what we've seen in the in Yeah, he was not, he was also not afraid to to play to look for that like incisive channel pass as well, which is yeah. really, really, really great to see. It was really exciting to see. There was a couple of really good ones into Cessnion down the line uh, yeah. and and really like hair's breadth gap that he he was finding through through yeah. those. Yeah. Gareth, you want to join us in the Clement Longley uh, show? Yeah, it was, it was a game where we needed our central defenders to be able to come and play the ball through into midfield uh, because Fulham didn't really press us particularly well or particularly high up the pitch. So I, th- I think we Longley was a bit of an unknown quantity to us. He wasn't really tested defensively. And I think ultimately when we decide who's the better player in that position, we'll need to judge what he's like when he's on the back foot a little bit more and we're, we're defending a little bit more. But yeah, he was he was the perfect fall for us yesterday because he was more progressive with his passing. He he found some slightly different angles than, than Davis would have done. Um, so I think a really, really positive debut for him. But I say probably ultimately the, the test will come when we um, when we're on the back foot a little bit more, I think a lot of us, I say, and I'd include myself on this, were a bit um, premature in uh, kind of criticising him when he was first being mentioned, largely based on his form at Barcelona over the last year or so, where he's had a tough time. And I think one of the things that Paratici has done very very well it's almost kind of these money ball signings where you've got players who are out of favor at their club but have have exactly the qualities that the manager or the club needs so you're spotting value in the market and you know obviously Benton Kerr and Kulusevski would be in the same bracket there you know Kulusevski couldn't get into um you know the Juve side and then he comes to this league and he looks you know he's had you know one of the best starts to his career here of anyone ever and you know apart from some kind of lump of meat who's joined City this summer, maybe. But, um, you know, he's you know, really ripped it up and, and, and no one was looking at him. No one was trying to do that signing. And, and Lengley, you know, similar, a different position. Great fit for Conte. And everyone was undervaluing him based on a, you know, a poor season or poor, you know, two seasons. And I think maybe there's a lesson for us and lesson for me here in that we need to reserve judgment and maybe look at the qualities of the player and what Paratici is seeing there rather than looking at, you know, form, looking at, you know, what's happened or, you know, why a move hasn't happened. And yeah, I think, um, I think you really showed that. One of the things we should touch on with Christian Romero, I think it's, you know, we've waxed lyrical about his, the, the positive aspects of his performance. And there are many, many positive aspects to this guy. He is a, a warrior. He's a tremendous footballer. He definitely helps the dynamism, our, the dynamism in our game. Am I being a little churlish to be worried about the fact that he does seem to have a ricket or a weird moment in, in pretty much every game, whether it be an irrational challenge at the wrong moment that could be, that's orange. Um, in this game, I felt his defending of Mitrovic in that moment for Mitrovic's goal was, was extremely poor. Uh, his read of the situation and his subsequent reaction to it. At first, it looks like he's overrun the moment but um, and he's just been caught. But there was plenty of time to readjust and maybe do a little more to stop Mitrovic getting that shot. I, 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 am, I, am I being a little over-concerned? And then he had, you know, he just went a little crazy there for a moment, a little, little wild, um, a little sort of harebrained. And then he found himself again and was centred. Is this something that's going to get coached out soon? Am I overreacting to a soft moment? 
What do you guys think? Well, I think your analysis was right that he overran the ball. And if you remember that move, that move comes from Richarlison hitting the post at the other end. Yes. Um, the ball goes Which we will to... talk about when we pay when we pay tribute to the great Absolutely, man. Absolutely, yeah. And so we should. Um, but we Fulham will. then break away. So Fulham start their attack from inside their own penalty area. It comes from a sliding challenge on the goal line from Polina on, on Heiberg. And from that moment, they, they work the ball out to their right-hand side on the halfway line. And we're on the back foot. So... You, you look at our players, there's about three or four of them that are sprinting to get back into position. And I think Romero's one of those. And he just overruns it. And just in overrunning it, he allows Mitrovic the opportunity to come back onto his stronger right foot. So I said this is taking rough with the smooth. So you wouldn't expect many central defenders or right-sided players in that position to be in such an advanced position, which is something that Romero gives to the attack, although he had no part in our initial attack. Um, he was there to support it. And so the you know the rough end of that one is if play suddenly breaks down and it comes up the other end, he is going to be perhaps yep. not in the same position that a defender would have been under previous managers that yep. we had who already would have been on the halfway line and would have attacked the ball with the diagonal ball that gets played over to Mitrovic in the first place. Yep, fair analysis. Yeah, Myla? I'd agree with that. I think it was a, little, a bit lapsed a days ago once he once uh, you know in the challenge there overran it, but I think if you look overall at his performance, he was superb and. Yeah, the, the, in terms of kind of, if we look at us as a, as a unit in terms of how we're functioning, we're a hundred percent better when he's in the team. So I would, I yes. would forgive, him, I would forgive him one slip if that's what it was. But also, it's his first game back after Very a good. while out, and it, you know, it might take. You know, th- these things happen. Um, if you know, if, if the if the shot goes past the uh, far post, do we? You know, would we spend a lot of time talking about it? Probably not. Um, you know, these things happen, and. As a team performance, I think you're right, Steph, in terms of saying it was our best performance of the season. Um, you know, we should have ended up three, four goals to the good in this game, I think. Um, and a large part of that was the fact that we could uh, play out from the back and we were, you know, we were making positive passes out from the back and a lot more comfortable on the ball. You know, him and Lengley were instrumental in that. So, yeah, overall, not, which, not too bothered. Which brings us moving through the... Yeah, good, good, good. Uh, glad we looked at it. Glad that uh, we've got those viewpoints. I think they're very fair. Um, but as we move through the gears of the team, you know, that does bring us to Hoybeer and Bentoncourt. And once, you know, look, we can't eulogise them enough, probably. But, uh, you know, again, I think we're a different team when Bentoncourt is playing and on form as he was. And both, I thought both midfielders were, were really, really very, very good against Fulham, uh, particularly Bentoncourt. I think we'd all agree with that, right? It makes such a difference. Yes, when I've gone back and watched bits of the game today, what was really noticeable was just how close Heiberg and Bentenko are to each other when we receive mm. the ball, which yes. means that they can um, they can play the ball first time into each other or use little triangles. And that combination between them means that they're definitely our first choice players in that position at the moment. And as good as we think Basuma is going to be and Skip may continue to be when he comes back in, there's no way if both of them were fit that you wouldn't pick them. They, they totally justify being the, the two picks in midfield. And it's a great challenge for Yves Basuma to, to step up to that. I mean, it's a great challenge. You know, he wants to challenge himself this career, and I'm sure he will. I'm sure he'll step up to it. And and skip as well. Yes. I was going to say, I think, I think in terms of Bentenker, you know, he's great under pressure in in, uh, in type spaces. You know, he, he holds onto the ball so well. Um, and then in terms of his passing, you know, in the, in the, certainly against Fulham, he's just doing the simple things very, very well. There wasn't much... Um, um, kind of you know, Hollywood passing. It was just laying it off, and you know, just very, very, very tidy. And yeah. it's you know, just always, always on it. You know, not never giving the ball away. Just very, very tidy and laying it off. I think Hoybier. 
I mean, it's something we picked in, uh, picked up in the run-in last season in terms of him being typically the one who was getting, you know, whilst it's a double pivot, it was Hoybier who was getting forward more often than Benton Kerr. And I think we've seen that continue a bit more this season. I mean, obviously he scored in this game. It was a nice goal. It was a really good run after, um, after, after the layoff and, you know, to, to come back in and collect it. You know, second goal this season, he's getting more involved, um, further forwards. And I think, again, this is partly down to kind of Conte system bedding in a bit more time in the training ground over the summer. And we're, you know, we're beginning to see that kind of more functioning or high functioning Conte system and those, you know, automations coming into play here. Um, and Hoybier, Again, it's a, you know, it's a comment we've made before, but I think we're seeing a bit of his kind of international form and the role he plays internationally coming into the side, whereas previously, yep. absolutely, um, you know, certainly under Mourinho, who's a bit of a water carrier, and that's not, you know, he's a very good water carrier, but that that was kind of what, how we've used him previously, and there's, there's a lot more to his game, I think, this season so far. I agree. A few more strings to his bow, and uh, I think you're right. The system is allowing here, allowing us to see that and to hear he's he's a different tune, if you will. Um, I, I, we're getting to the point. And the area of the pitch that I think is probably the most exciting uh, right now and the decisions that were made in this game uh, with regards to those front three, obviously, um, Harold Kane picks himself. I mean, there's these superlatives. We could go on forever. But let's focus on on Son and Richarlison. I think it was uh, the correct move based on uh, the West Ham game to give Decky a rest. I thought he looked a little tired and we must remember that Decky is 21 years old. He's still a young man and, you know, it's really important to manage his game time and his rest and and he's still developing. I think there's still much more to come from him, which is sort of hard to believe because, as you said, Milo, he's had this great start to his career with us, but I think there's more to come. Richarlison has been banging on the door. He got his chance. Um, uh, You're going to have to cut me off here. I love him more every week. He, he, his appetite for the game, his work rate, those two things just starting there. What he brings to the team in terms of his um, intelligence, football intelligence, uh, is, is, is phenomenal considering he's only been with us since the summer. I mean, he was connecting with Harry in the first half so well. Some of those little touches, you know, his footwork, incredible. And then, of course, there was that first goal, uh, which, you know, he had a major part in. Uh, you know, he's executed probably technically one of the, one of the best snapshot volleys I, I've seen. I mean, I, 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 my, I'm being dramatic. My heart ached for him. It ached for me when it didn't go in because that's goal of the month. It was such a brilliant shot. And then, of course, he's bundled the ball over the line with, uh, I, I won't get into offsides or whatever. I mean, obviously, you know, for me, I give that goal every day of the week. I admit, yeah, maybe he was offside. You know, he's ripped his shirt off. He's gone for it. I, I love him. I love him. That's the big problem with VAR is that it's not seen through lily white glasses. Yeah, you know, if we That's want to make right. one change to it. <laughs> I mean, that's the, you know, where's the spirit of, the, where's the true spirit of football? Not to just let him have that goal for Christ's sake. We're going to win. You know, he was robbed of a brilliant moment with, when it hit the post. Just let him have the fucking goal and let's just have football justice. But that being said, I mean, the celebrations, I think, okay. All right. So this is, and, and by the way, before I let you all in and I shut myself up, Sonny has, for me, been playing, he's been playing fine. And I think he's. I think he played really well yesterday. I think he was incredibly unlucky again. And even Conti referred to the fact. Well, he's not just having bad luck here. He's having bad luck on the training pitch. Like you know, Fraser Forster's made a couple of unbelievable saves in him in training, where we're just all laughing. It's like, mate, it's not happening for you. But you know, Antonio Conti's not worried about Sun because there is nothing to worry about. This guy is going to go on a major scoring streak soon. I think that that's fair to say. And now 
I'm going to go Zen. Gentlemen, react as you will. So a couple of things I noticed for, about Richarlison being at the game yesterday. You've, you've mentioned both of them, actually. First of all, it's just his energy level. So whether he was trying to close the ball down, whether he was trying to move, make a run off the ball when we had the ball, or whether it was just his demeanour when he received the ball, uh, it, it had a really galvanising effect on the rest of the team and on the crowd as well. Um, so he definitely deserved that start yesterday, and I think there'll be plenty more starts coming up from him. He's really given Conte a, a big question ahead of two very big games this week about who actually starts in that starts in that front three. But he's as got as valid claims as anyone else based on his performance yesterday. Um, you also mentioned how well he linked up with Kane as well. It was um, almost telepathic at times, the way that they read off each other. So clearly a lot of work's been done on the on the training grounds. The other thing that I've noticed more through watching the game back rather than anything I've noticed being there was that he found himself in really good position. So nominally he was playing on the on the right yesterday, but he also found himself in some natural number nine positions, even in the first half. And he seemed instinctively to know when he should be in those positions as mm. well. And also on the left as well. So I think what he's also done is he's also staked a claim for being able to play in any one of those front three positions. Um, and perhaps he would be more natural in any one of the three positions than any of the other three. That I think you'd lose something from Sonny if you played him on the right. I think Kulisewski naturally will play on the right. And I think Kane, Excellent you would keep points. through the centre. I agree. As a blend against a better team, I have some questions about those three playing together in terms of the kind of the blend of skills they've got. But I think for yes, yesterday, I think it was probably the you know it was the right choice, and I think it was particularly the right choice to leave Sun on when and sub Kane off, and move Ch- uh, Richardson to the centre. You know, partly to give Sun the confidence of staying on. I think it actually sends quite an important message to the team that anyone could come off, and you know, no one's you know bigger than the the team as a whole. Um, you know, Kane over the last few years hasn't been taken off enough and you know we've seen the, seen the impact of that so i think that was quite an important message to send the t- to send to the team i thought Richarlison was excellent um his work rate is second to none he is i think it rubs off on others i think you know evidently i think the athletic did a piece the athletic did a piece on him today saying that he's made a very big impact on the squad as a whole and is very popular you know immediately within the, within the squad in terms of uh, yeah, how he is with the fans. I know, kind of last weekend, the kind of the criticism of um, of the keepy uppies. Um, he was ribbing, which was pathetic, by the way, the criticism. But him, him, kind of ribbing Jamie Carragher on Twitter, and he's got a very, very, very Super. strong Twitter game. So good, kind of going at pundits for having a go at him. I, he's had a very, very big. I would buy a cry more T shirt if he put it out, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I was, I, someone mocked up a tifo. <laughs> Uh, for the South Stand with Cry More written on it, which um, <laughs> would be special. So, yeah, I think in terms of kind of connection with the fans, it's been pretty much immediate as well. And, you know, we we talked again last season about some of the new signings and being kind of cult heroes. We've got another one. And it, it's hard not to love him. Yeah. So, so anyone who doesn't love him yet, if you're finding it hard, take our suggestion. Ditch the hard bit. Just love him. Love him a bit more. <laughs> love him a bit don't, more. Don't sit on. Just, just, just go. Just go all in. Go all in with Richie. Yeah. He's worth it. He's got he's, Lamella vibes, doesn't he? He's got Lamella vibes, but he's also got. I don't know. He's got an edge of cheek about him. That's just. He's just cheeky. He's just. I love the cheek. I love the personality, and I. You can just see that this guy loves 
the game, every aspect of it. He just loves it. You get the impression, give him a ball in the park and he'd be like, he'd be as into it, you know, loves it. Love players like that. I remember when he signed Steph, you, you know, you spoke about, you know, his upbringing and um, yeah. kind of the amount of work he had to do in order to train and, and, and um, you yeah. know, he was, run, he was running, you know, considerable distances in order to, to train and yes. things like that after, um, you know, quite a poor uh, kind of impoverished um, upbringing, didn't he? And I think, he um, yeah, you know, maybe it's just one of those things where you know you appreciate it a bit more if you've you know compared to players who've had it a bit easier. Oh, I think so. Did you have you seen? Did did I share the? Yeah, did I share the clip in our in our thread? There's this great clip. It's quite an old one, um, but it's him sitting on the floor. Yeah, back in back in Brazil, I, I, with I presume with his family and some other local friends and and, and neighbours and whatever, and they're all watching the Brazil squad being announced when he first got into the squad, and they're all watching it on on a small it's it's a pretty small television. It's not you know it's no HD, and it's a pretty simple surroundings. I would say it would be the, the the best way to describe it. And they announce his name, and he just jumps in the air, punches the air, and he's just whooping, and and there's kids and family and everyone just cheering and jumping there's so much passion in it mm. and and uh, you know i i just it, i love it and it, it seems to transmit to everything he does um even when he's shithousing there's passion in it I, I, again maybe i've got my my lily white glasses on but my word i i love him i'm i'm, I'm I, I swear to god i'm gonna buy a shirt with his name on it before christmas you'll probably see me wear it in november that's that but i mean that's not saying much i buy a shirt with many names but i love him <laughs> in, in terms of kind of sunny i think um you know on another on another day he walks away from that game with a couple of goals you know the, the well, um yes. the shot across the crossbar was you know it was unlucky not to go in brilliant shot considering the ball was not ideal in the first place he did well to even get a shot there. and and, I mean, and he was pretty close to goal at the time it came to him as well um yeah. you know and you know you look across that, that game and I say the result wasn't kind of uh, representative of the performance, you know, Richarlison had the shot against the, uh, the you know, the foot of the uh, the um, the post as well. Um, another day, we walk away from that game with four or five goals. I agree, and you know, and Harry Kane yeah. just doing what he does, right? I mean, you know, he's he's got what I like about the goals he's scoring this year. They're not fancy. Those are proper predator goals. Those are predatory strikes. Right place, right time, right reaction. In. Do you know what? He's got an outside chance of passing Rooney this season. I think he's twenty goals behind Rooney now. Yeah. And yeah. if he starts looking at what um what Harlan's doing and, and and thinks that there's a there's a chase on there. I mean obviously Harlan's had a, a phenomenal start to the season. Um but if if he starts thinking about, you know, wanting that golden boot back after, you know, not getting it last season and, you know, the kind of uh, the increased competition for that. 20 goals between now and the end of the season. I wouldn't bet him against him getting that. No, no. not at so, all. So, well, the first big milestone is he's now only 13 behind Greavesy. Yeah. He's on 2-5-3 now and Greavesy's 2-6-6. You wouldn't bet him against yeah. against him getting that by the World Cup, would you, really? No, that's it. Is that all, that's, is that all competitions? All competitions, yeah. Yeah, he'll get that by the World Cup, won't he? Carries all the way he's doing it at the moment, he will, yeah. He's just operating with a quiet, ruthless efficiency. I mean, and it's, uh, I mean, you know, obviously we've come to expect it. He's Harry Kane. Uh, you know, he's a what, seven, eight season wonder, whatever it is now. But that being said, I think it's always nice to stop and appreciate the point. I mean, you know, never appreciated enough. It's a perennial question, but I think this is the best version of Harry Kane we've ever seen. Undoubtedly. He's fitter and sharper than he's ever been. He seems like he's more bought into this 
than he's been into any other system. Maybe he appreciates more what it is to have something that's working. I mean, in the Poch years, it was magical and it was brilliant, but it But he'd never known any different, had he? Apart from kind of Sherwood, he'd never really known any different. No, not at Spurs. And now he's had the the experiences. I think maybe it's easier to to appreciate when you have something great uh, like, like, like we have with Conti. So... Um, okay, it's sort of a, a bit of a, I don't know, bit of an odd question, but given that we've all agreed that this is our best overall performance of the season, you know, how many of these players start next week against Man City? And let's take it, let's take the tactical overview here as well, which players will, you know, would work against a Manchester City side, which um, actually we're level with. <laughs> let's let's not be around the bush. We're level with Man City, so uh, you know it's 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 a direct it's a direct rivalry game, direct clash. Yeah. Well, at the moment, I think there's only two selection dilemmas if everyone's fit. So it's whether you play Sessegnon or Perisic at left wing back, and I think yep. now genuinely there's the question of whether Richarlison starts in the front three, probably instead of Kulusevski. I'd say Davis is probably still ahead of Longley, uh, and I think he would be against Manchester City as well. So. When we won at City last year in, in February, it was that 11. So it was Royale, Bentenko, Heuberg, Sessignon, Romero, Dyer, Davis, Kulu, Kane and Son. And I think I'd struggle to see a reason not to go with that 11. Um, I think it's really important we get off, a good, off to a good start in the Champions League group against Marseille on Wednesday. So I'd probably say maybe put Longley, Perisic and Richarlison in the starting 11 on on Wednesday night and make those three changes for Man City and unless there's any injuries. I can't, I can't see um, any reason to deviate too far away from that. I'm going to disagree. So starting at the back, I think I probably would start Lengley because I think the composure on the ball and being able to play out from the back and find that pass-up ball, considering I think we're going to sit deep and play on the break, I think you know finding those balls out uh, uh, through over City and being able to be comfortable when you're being pressed, I think would be really useful. Um, against City, I would start Perisic because I think experience is important. And again, the better passing and you know creating chances, I think I think uh, we need against a team like that, where you know realistically we're not going to get a huge amount of chances. We need to make the most the most of them, and he pretty much guarantees two or three brilliant opportunities to score a goal a game. Although I thought Sessignon was very good against um, against Fulham, I, I was really impressed with him uh, yesterday. And then if we're playing on the break. So I'm not, as I said earlier, I'm not mad keen on Son, Kane and, and Richarlison as a front three in that we don't have a natural passer or creator there. And I prefer Decky as you know one of those three. But I think against City, where we're likely to sit back and play on the break, then maybe Richarlison's pace and aggression is more useful. So maybe I'd play Decky midweek against Marseille and then uh, and then play effectively Son and, and, and Richarlison as runners uh, against City with you know, uh, uh, you know, Kane kind of sitting back and, and providing. I think tactically that that it does depend exactly on what you're saying. If we are going to play on the break, I think Richarlison probably is is a better fit. If we're going, to, if we're not Decky uh, for sure. But I, I think you're right. Richarlison for me would start at Man City. Um, I, I think the long leg question is is it's really interesting, and it depends whether you know Conte wants the physicality of Ben Davis back there because he is a very physical defender um probably tougher and harder than Longley having said that I agree with you again I think when we have the ball against Man City it's going to be imperative that we do good things with it as often as possible 
that's not rocket science, is it really, to say that? But stating the bleeding obvious, if we have someone who can pass out a little better, then uh, then so be it. And for me, the biggest conundrum I have is over Perisic versus Sessegnon. Given, again, efficiency on the ball, you really want those deliveries to be sharp. You want them to be as good as they can. And Perisic is such a good deliverer, isn't he? But Sessegnon is a unit, an engine, he's fast. Pacey and I think he's actually at this point a little better in the role you know on defensive duties than, than Perisic I, I, think, think I think Perisic is still a little soft there sometimes so but it's a tough call it's a really tough yeah. call it's a tough call who'd be a manager eh <laughs> I think what's probably most important is that Romero follows uh, follows Holland everywhere he goes and kicks his knees uh. Yeah. By the way, um, I'd like to also go on public record as reminding everyone that my prediction of uh, of Haaland's uh, career uh, and start at Manchester City has proven to be um, uh, 100% wrong. Maybe is that the phrase? Uh, 180 degrees away from the truth. Uh, how foolish to think that I thought he was going to struggle. I mean, I, I thought he was going to struggle. You know, when teams you know, didn't give him 30 yards of space to gallop into. And then I've forgotten who it was against a couple of weeks ago. He scored that goal inside the, the penalty box. There's two defenders on him and he's just basically held them off like they're aggravating flies and just larrap the ball into the back of the net. Um, again, uh, you know, it's easy to say what players are going to suffer from the couch, isn't it? I've been made a muppet by... He's a freak. By, I mean, he is a freak. He looks like a Bond yeah. villain. That guy looks like a Bond villain. He yeah. he frightens me to look at him because he, he looks like someone that you'd he looks like you unzip him and there's a cyborg in there or something for a start. But he is like I don't know if it, which which James Bond film was it that had Jaws? Russia with Love I think you're thinking about which one was it is that the one it, wait, wait, and Jaws and the guy opens his and it oh, just okay. looks like he reminds me of that guy he reminds me of that guy go on oh you're looking it up yeah Grant I think in, from Russia with Love is the one I would say he was most similar to I don't know. Uh, how, how up on your bomb films you are, Steph? But um... well, I'm a Roger Moore man, but uh, that's Sean Connery and Roger Moore. But uh, Jaws, uh, the guy with the with the oh, with, okay. you know, the guy that had the metal teeth. He reminds me physically okay. of him. Yeah, yeah, he reminds me physically of him. Just, uh, just anyway. I look, pick any villain you want. I mean, he's he is uh, formidable. Uh, I, I mean, I presume he's going to be. It's going to be him versus Dyer, right? I mean, that seems to me to be the direct. Uh, I mean, he, the direct. Uh, I mean, if I was if I was City, I'd be trying to get in between Dyer and who's ever playing left centre back. You, you know, there's a channel there, yeah. and try yeah. and get through there. That being the case, I think Ben Davis will get the nod. Then, to be fair, um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. No, we don't. No, we don't. No. Uh, yeah, I, I just think being comfortable on the ball is just such an asset against a team like City um, because they yeah. can smother you. Of course, what would be most comfortable would be if uh, if Harland to get some sort of light niggle or strain midweek in the Champions League. <laughs> Kane v Harland, you can see that it's going to be that that the big screen shot, and uh, and we're already getting excited and talking about it when we haven't even wrapped up the Fulham game. What am I doing? This is ridiculous. I mean, you know. Anyway, closing thoughts on Fulham. Let's wrap Fulham up. One positive, one negative in 30 seconds, or however you want to time it, chaps. Three, two, one. Milo, I'll start with you. <laughs> so the positive, I think, you know, we've covered amply. Um, it was the, you know, the, the second stringers, although, you know, it's a squad game. There aren't any second stringers. No one's been dropped. It's just a bit of rotation. Uh, but the new players coming into the team and getting their first starts were all excellent. And, 
you know, we yeah, we started off actually this pod. There, there's um, I don't know, synchronicity for you, Steph. Yeah, you know, we started talking about the transfer window and how we did, and the you know, kind of the, the strength of the squad we've got. Um, and we're finishing the pod talking about about that as well. Yeah, you know, we saw some real strength and depth, and those those five changes, all of them came in and played well. And um, we've got some real options now. And you know, again, when we talk about the city game, you know, there's some there's some real choices to make there. And the negative, this is a bit harder probably. I say, I mean, without kind of, I mean, the cop out negative we always do is we could have scored more, isn't it? So, um, should I do the cop out one? It's not really, it's, it's kind of a non answer, isn't it? Go on. Well, it's cop a non answer, isn't it? But yeah, kind of the cop out, we could have scored more. It's all right. Give you a cop out answer. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now that he's copped out, Gareth, step in and f- step in, step in big here. <laughs> Go on, go on, so my, my, Well, yeah, my positive is going to be, and I've saved this, I thought Milo was going to mention it, our second goal involved all 11 players on the pitch touching the ball. So from Sessegnon taking a throw in just inside the Fulham half, um, all 11 players touched the ball uh, before Kane eventually puts it in. And then my only negative from the game is that Tim Ream comes in and makes a clearance in between touches 13 and 14 of that to stop it being a pure goal of all first touches. Exactly, yeah. Oh, and also Tosin's arm that blocked Sessingon's initial shot. Um, but yeah, but the, no, the only other negative I'm going to give you, and this is this is incredibly trite of me to say, it, is that there isn't another Saturday three o'clock game in the in the schedule at home for a while now. Well, you got two already this season for the first time in eons, so uh, I won't cry for you too much there. There's progress being made in the fixture list, so uh, but uh, you you will get another one, I'm sure. Right? There is another one uh, after the World Cup, isn't there? There's potential for one. Yeah, I mean Leeds could be oh, on, the, right. on the 12th of November. Subject to there TV you go. picks. We'll be there. You watch us go out of the Champions League at the group stage, uh, Gareth. We've got Thursday night games after after Christmas, and uh, it's everything's on a Sunday. Dear me, dear me. Well, my my positives, and I have two of them. Um, number one, and I mean, I'm sure you'll all agree on this. And if you want to chip in, feel free. I'm, I'm, you know, my thirty seconds is two minutes, and you can come in. Hugo Lloris has been in great form, um, and and apart from and apart done from very very well. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Don't worry. I, he will feature in my negatives. Don't worry. But generally speaking, been in great form and made a fantastic save at the end of the Fulham game, which has not been talked about enough. It was absolutely brilliant and and, and saved us the win. Um, and my other positive is uh, I'm going to focus on Richarlison's hair now, which is a hairstyle that I wish I could get away with. I could never get away with that for various reasons. The fact I'd look at Pratt being the primary one and the fact that my wife wouldn't allow it being the second. Um, But the third thing is he just has this, I don't know, he has this futuristic sort of cyberpunk Diantort vibe about him as well, which just makes him even fucking cooler. How cool, how much cooler can this guy get? Do you see him as kind of Rutger Hauer? Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer via Diane Twart in in some sort of like you know futuristic uh, sci-fi you know yeah I mean t- t- sci-fi movie spectacular um, yeah I I, I just uh, you know I, I've I've got to dial it back. Probably is that what next because- Saturday is? Is that kind of we've got the kind of clash of the kind of sci-fi. A cyborg. Yeah, you've got the Neil Blomkamp sci-fi, the Neil Blomkamp via South Africa sci-fi ut- dystopian warrior versus the fucking brute, uh, brute Bond villain. I love it. 
Yes, well called. You see, that's what you get when you get when you get positive on this pod. You end up in all sorts of great places. <laughs> so it, it pains me to say my only my only negative actually is that. In the last couple of games, for all the great form, Hugo has resorted to what I consider a little bit of foot farding here and there. Um, the, the West Ham game we already talked about, but there was an absurd moment in yesterday's game where I actually, the first words that sprang to mind were Basil Fawlty. Like, what the fuck's he doing when he actually chipped? Do you remember when he turned in, in, uh, on his own six-yard box? And he kind of chipped. Loved it. It was mental. Loved it. What are you Loved doing, it. man? Loved it. It was good. It was good. control. Yeah, but what are you doing? He you found his mental. man. It was perfect. I don't know. And then he sort of like, eh, I don't know. I'd, I'd like, I like, I like calm Hugo, consistent Hugo. Just, just, just pass it straight. Okay, no, I, that may be a little churlish. Yeah, maybe he needs to shave the sides of his head and bleach them, bleach the middle bit blonde, and I'll give him a bit more. How's he that? Wouldn't, he'd never get into his jazz club, <laughs> would he? No, he <laughs> wouldn't. It would, it would clash with his, polo his house. His wife, his wife would probably send him packing as well. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I, I was just wondering with what you were you're saying about kind of a kind of dystopian future, kind of cyborg clash of the uh, forwards again. You know, next weekend maybe we could get the game moved to Mid- Middlesbrough, so it looks like a kind of post-apocalyptic. Um, <laughs> Oh, Christ, that would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Mid- <laughs> Imagine that. For anyone who's... Richarlison, Richarlison oh. and, and uh, Harland stomping across Middlesbrough <laughs> in a, a clash of the ages. Oh, dear. <laughs> dear. Oh, my word. What's the title of this film that we're making uh, next week? What, 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 what title would we give it? It's tough, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, prime dystopia. I don't know. Dis- just call it dystopia. Battle, battle for the uh, dystopia. Battle for the league. I don't know. Anyone has got a good film suggestion? I don't. Know. Go on. Have you got one? Battle Royale. We'll, we'll bring in uh, Emerson yeah, well, into yeah. this. Diatopia. Battle Royale. Another another man who has had a blonde, a blonde, a bit of blonde in his hair and a shaved sides. I like this. Battle <laughs> Royale. That is what it is. Next weekend, Battle Royale. Will good triumph over evil? The good. Of our own uh, dystopian warrior, Brazilian boys versus the evil Brazilian boys versus the evil of that monstrous unit, Erling Haaland. (laughs) Oh dear! All right, I suppose we better we better come to a close here. There's been far too much cheer right now, isn't there? Let's bring this Tom Fuller to a close, shall we? But good one, chaps. Thank you very much. A lot of fun. Good, yeah, yeah. Good one indeed. And as you might have gathered, we'll be back next week to discuss our opening Champions League group fixture against Marseille um, and the latest Etihad encounter with Manchester City uh, which we've just uh, given you a full preview for and will be uh, being shown at IMAX <laughs> no, it won't be shown in IMAX at all um, but it will be on um, it's going to be on, it's the late show on Saturday so um, you know we'll all be tuning in we haven't had a new iTunes review in a while so leave us one please make us smile Make me smile. Make us all smile. And, you know, any social media love you can give us is going to be very helpful to continue. The game is about glories. Um, Silent but very, very progressive march to the top of the Tottenham pod table. A little bit like the way Tottenham Hotspur Football Club are marching towards the top of the Premiership table. Silently, efficiently and without anyone paying us any attention, just as we like it. As always, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.